The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Man at the Gate. Here you will learn how to apply your Christian ethics in the political arena. This includes our local and federal politics. Come, sit, relax, and enjoy our time together as we discuss the state of our nation and what it looks like to be salt and light in a pagan world. Welcome to another episode of Man at the Gate. I am your host, Carrie Appling. This is episode four, Humanistic Calvinists and Fiat Providence. This episode today is going to be about a little bit about my life, about what's going on now currently in my life. Um, and I wanted to start off with a, with a quote by R.J. Rushduni from his Introduction to Systematic Theology. Here's what uh, Rushduni says. If God be indeed creator of all things, all things must be defined in relationship to him, or else we have a false definition. I also want to read Proverbs 28, verse 4. They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. So I wanted to tell the story about how the United States government not the United States government, but actually the government of Texas, has stolen my right, quote-unquote, to operate a motor vehicle. And this started um, about four years ago. And, and keep in mind, um, progressively, almost always, the government progressively entrenches us into poverty. It almost never is always one exclusive thing that they do to us. It's always a systematic layering one thing after the other slowly over time. Um, and so in order to understand what's going on, we have to go back to four years ago when I got a speeding ticket. Got a speeding ticket about four years ago downtown Houston. I live in Houston. Actually, I live in Friendswood, Texas, but I work in Houston, Texas. I live in what they call the greater Houston area, which means the area outside of Houston where most people actually live. And uh, then we drive into town to work. And so I was clocked, I think, going about 13 miles an hour over the speed limit. Um, uh, actually, it wasn't even like four years ago. It was longer than that. It's like five or six years ago. And basically what happened was uh, I was given a ticket, and then you uh, – I don't know many people who go to court anymore uh, over speeding tickets. I don't have time. I don't know a lot of people who do. That's another, uh, that's another unjust aspect of our court system. Uh, they, make, uh, they make it almost financially – impossible to even defend yourself in the court system with the amount of costs that it uh, will generate for you to get a, a you know a lawyer or for you to um, uh, just go into court you know people don't have two hundred dollars to pay for court fees and all these other things you have to pay just to defend yourself so I was pulled over uh, given a speeding ticket uh, didn't have time to you know do all that stuff so basically what I did was uh, I set my payments in uh, year increments. I think the speeding ticket was like at $1,000 or something like that. And so I opted to, to pay for it at $250 every year for the next four or five years, something along those lines. And you can defer it every once in a while, like, hey, I'm going to skip three months or something. But I didn't do that. I you know, tried to, as best as I could, pay those on time, and I never missed 
a payment. So what ended up happening was I was paying off that old speeding ticket. I had an expired registration on my vehicle and so did my wife. We have very much more, very more, uh, very much more. We have more pressing matters in our family financially than registering our vehicles. Those are not priority. The state isn't priority in our home. Uh, family is priority. God is priority in our home. Uh, so I was making my way to paying for my wife's registration and mine because coupled together, that's about $200 in one month typically for one for, for both of those registrations. I don't have $200 laying around. My family operates on one income. My wife stays at home, and she watches an extra child for uh, some padded income. Uh, we are just not, not very well-off people. And so what ended up happening was I paid for my wife's registration, but then a police officer pulled me over when I was not registered. And this happened last month. Police officer pulls me over on the freeway, and what ended up happening was I exited off of the freeway coming from work downtown, exited off of the freeway, the officer clocks me right at the exit ramp, coming right off the exit ramp, as a, an outstanding officer would. He clocks me, you know, probably I think I was going 10 or 12 miles over the speed limit, over whatever the exit uh, speed limit was, and uh, clocks me for that, pulls me over, notifies me that my driver's license is expired. I said, well, no, my driver's license isn't expired. Uh, you know, check it out. He said, no, you haven't paid your surcharge for your speeding ticket. I said, yeah, oh, yes, I've paid that off and got to thinking about it. I said, you know what? I may not, I may have missed the last payment because Hurricane Harvey hit last year and I completely forgot about it. Um, Hurricane Harvey hit the week um, before that last charge was due and it was like a $12 charge. Nothing huge. I didn't owe him 250 bucks. I owed him like 12 bucks. So they suspended my driver's license apparently last year around the hurricane. Now keep in mind in my family, we moved in, the eclipse happened, and Hurricane Harvey hit in the same week for the Applings here in Houston. Uh, a speed, a $13 fine on a speeding ticket didn't even occur to me and I uh, at the time had thought I paid it off. So I was driving with an expired driver's license uh, for the whole year. I didn't know this because I hadn't attempted to register my my vehicle, and I'm pretty sure if I had attempted to register my vehicle, they wouldn't have let me because my my driver's license would have been expired. So my vehicle's registration is out. My driver's license is suspended or expired or whatever it is. Officer writes me three tickets for speeding, registration, driver's license. Get the, I get I get a little notice in the mail about a week later, and uh, I have three charges. So basically, what you do is you don't have time to show up or pay for a lawyer, uh, and no one I, I don't. Um, so basically, what I did was I sent in a f I sent in forty dollars per charge and money orders. So forty plus forty plus forty, hundred twenty bucks for each charge, and then an additional two hundred, anywhere from one hundred and seventy to two hundred and twenty dollars for each additional charge as well, if you want them written off, if you want them dismissed, because you know, apparently you can just pay judges now to for, for innocence. So, mo and this is what most people do, they plead guilty almost with everything, plead guilty with it, pay, pay the fines, have it quote-unquote dismissed, because that's justice these days. And so I paid for my registration and my speeding ticket, which the judge dismissed. And he did not dismiss 
my driver's license suspension. And so what ended up happening was I called the city and I said, well, hey, how are we going to fix this? What do I need to do to get this um, uh, this dismissed? Because I have to drive. Because the repercussions are you can't drive till December. And I said, well, I'm the only one making any money. Um, the majority of the money in my home, I have to drive. My children and my wife depend on it. What do I do? She said, sir, we can't do anything for you. The only thing you can do, sir, is go get an occupational driver's license and appeal to a local judge in your county and ask them if they can basically give you a driver's license that lets you drive to wherever you're working and you can't drive unless you're doing that. Once again, um, that's I think another $200 that I don't have. And so uh, I said, you know what, don't worry about it. So I wanted to talk about what that does to me. What does it mean when the government tells me I do not have a right to operate a motor vehicle on the freeway? Now, keep in mind, libertarians uh, or socialists will tell us that um, without the government, then any old company can arbitrarily choose who can and can't drive on their, on their, on their, on their roads. They can just say, oh, black people can't drive on the roads or women can't drive on the roads, which no one would ever do that. But what they end up saying is because someone might restrict your freedom to drive on the roads, we need the state to do it. Now, here I am. I'm your prime example for what apparently is impossible with a statist country, and that is that the government will not take away my right to operate a motor vehicle. This infuriated me. I kept it, my, kept it to myself. I haven't said hardly anything to anyone. My audience will know. Maybe a couple of my Facebook friends will know. But I am angry. And I would not be able to escape um, incarceration, in my opinion, if I did not have a supportive family around me. Something that a vast majority of people do not have. A very supportive family around me. And I'm not just talking about my wife and my children. I'm talking about extended family. I'm talking about my, my in-laws. I'm talking about my aunts and uncles. Uh, we have a very close family. And first and foremost, I want to thank everyone who has helped me in this. If you're listening, thank you. You know who you are. And so, what it comes down to is, if I did not have support to get to and from work, because now, listen to me, I have to get to and from work without being able to drive. And I work in a suburb, and it takes you 40 minutes to get to downtown Houston, where I work. It's a 40-minute drive there and back every day. And how am I going to do that without a license? Well, by God's providence, I carpool. Me and my brother-in-law carpool together. He drives one week, I drive the next week. Well, they flooded during Harvey, and so I drove for an extended period of time because both of, all their vehicles are destroyed. Well, he got his vehicle about a month ago, about a week before I got pulled over. And uh, now Jeremy is returning the favor. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm drinking coffee. You'll have to excuse me. It's been a long week. And so what it comes down to is that there are a vast majority of people, because we know the state of the family in America, there are a vast majority of people who do not have any support structure whatsoever. No church, no family, no nothing. Uh, I'm pretty sure that even if I did not have extended family, I don't know of anyone who would be able to even help me, who would be able to do this. I'd probably have to walk to the bus stop every day. 
Um, okay, my wife can't help me. She 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 watches a child every day, so my wife can't drive me all the way down to work and all the way back. She also has to homeschool. She has things to do. We got lives to live. We got things to do. I really didn't think this was a big deal, and um, I have not driven. I have not driven actually since I got the ticket. My my driver's license was suspended like on September 11th. Today is the 22nd. I it is not reinstated till like December the 11th, and I have to pay $100 to reinstate it. <laughs> you have to pay money everywhere, all over the place, constantly, just to get your rights. Now keep in mind, this is what the socialists would tell us if libertarians or theonomists ran the country. We would just be forking money over left and right just to be able to get on the road. Well, we pay in taxes for roads, and then I have to pay additionally just to get on them through registration fees and licensing and permits and everything else you could possibly imagine. You're paying, you're paying hundreds of times over, including with property tax in many cases. I was watching a Netflix, ep- a Netflix show. I could only really get through the first episode. It was pretty v- vulgar. I didn't really enjoy it, but I thought it was curious because I was interested in incarceration. I've watched a couple of, uh, of shows about incarceration. I've also read a little bit about incarceration. And I watched a show called The First and the Last on Netflix. And it was a show about a county jail, I believe in Georgia. And one of the people they were, they were sort of following around, one of the inmates they were sort of following around, was a woman who seemed to be uh, addicted to heroin. Um... And so keep in mind that in these county jails, no one is in there for a violent crime. No one's in the county jail for a violent crime, at least in this, in this uh, uh, county jail. It's all nonviolent crimes, all of it. It's like drug possession, like, oh, you had a firearm because you're a felon, um, uh, uh, traffic violations, fines, things like that. Now, I never thought, I never thought someone could be incarcerated because... They were driving on an expired driver's license. Well, there was a little woman who was there for a 78-day sentence because she had been driving without a driver's license. So they imprisoned her for doing so. And it hit me, man. It just hit me really hard. I was like, wow, this is crazy. That could be me. If I did not have a support structure, I'd be in that same woman's feet... uh, uh, um, predicament. I'm not addicted to heroin or anything, but that's beside the point. It's a nonviolent crime. An arbitrary, arbitrary laws and rules that are just you know leveled upon people. And this is what it means in Proverbs 28:4 that they that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. And I'm here to contend with the law today. Uh, because I don't have time to be in front of a judge who's not even going to fairly hear a trial. He's going to only judge uh, laws and things like that according to his humanistic worldview and according to constitutional law. He's not going to hold it to a higher standard, a moral, uh, biblical standard. He doesn't judge his laws as to whether they are righteous or not. It doesn't matter to him. Did you break our humanistic laws or did you not? And if you did, then, you know... Uh, uh, you're gonna get you're gonna get what's coming to you. And so I wanted to read another uh, interesting insight from Rush Dooney's Systematic Theology in page 218. Once again, I cannot high I cannot recommend this highly enough. It is kind of uh, life changing. Here's what Rush Dooney says in page 218. 
The, great, the greater threat is the claim of the modern state to sovereignty and therefore to ultimacy in government. The modern state claims jurisdiction over all other forms of government, over the individual, over the family, the school, the, the church, the professions, law, medicine, etc., the arts and sciences, business, agriculture, and so on. The logic of its claim to sovereignty and to government leads the state to claim to be the source of all providence and predestination. The state is man's source of security, it is held, and the state offers itself as man's hope of providence by means of medical care, aid to the aged, the sick, the needy, and so on, usurping what God requires be done in his name and with his tithe. Again, the state, by means of its planning and controls, works towards the total predestination of the social order, and of all controls, works toward the total predestination, or excuse me, I'm going to reread that, excuse me. Again, the state, by means of its planning and controls, works towards the total predestination of the social order, and of all persons therein, election and reprobation are made aspects of status legislation and bureaucratic fiat rather than the decree of God. Predestination and providence thus do not disappear when, de when denied to God. They reappear in political form as aspects of the life of the state and as exercises of the sovereignty of the state. All men believe in predestination. They only disagree as to the source of predestination and providence. The locale can vary, but the faith remains. And so, what we're, what I'm dealing with here for the next three months until December 11th is what I call humanistic Calvinism, or fiat providence. And by fiat providence, I am, uh, I am making a allusion to, or an allegory to, uh, fiat currency which means to create something out of nothing and to claim that it has value, to, uh, to posit a fake currency and say that it is actually the real thing. And what man has attempted to do with his traffic laws, with his crimes that have no uh, victim, and anything else that he schemes as a centralized planning um, uh, politician is all blasphemous in the eyes of God. It is man playing God on earth and gaining glory for himself by trying to bring the perfection of the earth by the centralized planning of man's legislation. And this, and this is funny because many people who believe this, which is 90% of America, believes that we should, every single aspect of our life, every single industry should be regulated, every single, every single road should have traffic violations, there should be nonviolent crimes such as felons owning firearms or firearms even being, uh, or even being owned. In New York, I read an article that a woman had her children stolen from her because she was homeschooling them. And, th and these people who claim to hate Calvinism, I mean, they, they don't even, they not, it's not enough for them to reject Christianity. They reject, the tr they reject Calvinism. They reject what I believe is the full, pure, biblical doctrines that we find in the Bible. 
And that is teaching that God is completely sovereign over the actions of men and over the uh, history of creation itself. And he providentially controls all. There is no luck. He providentially controls everything. Doesn't mean I'm a marionette and that I'm a robot, but instead God is what we call the first cause. He's the one who uh, has the most freedom. And then he dictates our actions through second causes. We have complete freedom in our second causes, which means that I have complete freedom in thought and uh, uh, other things like that. Actions, God doesn't, you know, I'm trying to get out the door and it's, you know, God's like barring me and has like an invisible door I can't get out. That's not how it works. God simply pre predestinates everything that we do. He's in control of good. He's in control of evil. God is in control of everything. Well, the state hates that, and humanists hate that. They hate that idea because it's not that they hate the idea. They just don't want God to have that. They want to have that. They want to say, we want the power of God, and we want to, once again, I've talked about, breathe, um, breathe law through our words and to change all of creation through our legislation. And so they have reprobation, just like our God does which means that God has predestined certain people to, to hell. It's basically the doctrine that uh, uh, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated in uh, Romans chapter 9. And so Christians need to start thinking about the way that we're interacting with the state. Uh, I'm extremely depressed about this, uh, to be honest with you. Pray for me. I can't have daddy-daughter dates. I can't just hop in the car and run to the corner store. I feel like a little child. And so it's, it's a great way for the state to discourage you and for the state to show you how powerful it is. Like, I can't, like this is providentially controlling me. It's like the state controlling one kind of activity of mine. The state has deemed uh, motor activity, motor operation carry banned, providentially banned from operating a motor vehicle on earth until December 11th. That's the decree of the state. Uh, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. Shame on you and anyone else who helped, in, including the police officer who pulled me over. Shame on you. You're not doing your job. You're hassling good people. And I don't back the blue for things like that. Because a police officer doesn't care. He has no, he has no um, discretion to look into matters or anything like that. He's just going to write a ticket. That's all it is. You shouldn't be operating a vehicle unless, unless your driver's license is suspended. Never mind that Hurricane Harvey hit a year ago and that our uh, community is completely devastated and people are barely able to keep their heads above water. Don't worry about that. You're going to pay the piper. And uh, the government says uh, we need some extra taxes because that's all this is, extra taxes. I'm not a threat to society. I haven't hurt anybody. I don't even mind paying for roads freely. I, I will pay for roads. Uh, but I'm not going to be coerced. And when it comes to deciding whether Uncle Sam gets some money or my, my children have clothes, guess what? You know what? And so we need to watch out for this idea that humanists don't believe in providence, that humanists don't believe that they should be able to govern each other's actions no matter where they are because there is not one single industry or one single activity that people partake in that 90% of Americans don't believe should not be regulated. Everything should be regulated in the eyes of Americans because they believe they're God. And they're not God. And so what this does is it... What is it? So, so let's say I one day get behind the, the car and I drive. I say, you know what? 
I've got places to be, I've got things to do, or maybe something happens in my life. Maybe something happens, an emergency occurs, and I've got to get behind the wheel, and I've got to go. And I get pulled over. And I get incarcerated. What does that do? What does that do to my family? What does that do to my wife and my children who literally rely on me solely almost for rent, electricity, food, water, clothing, sustenance, anything anything that a family needs to operate, curriculum, even affection, even just my presence being around. What is that going to do to my family when I'm incarcerated? It will literally plunge us into poverty. I will lose my home, and I, and, and I can barely keep my head of, above water. And what it comes down to is it would completely destroy um, the financial stability of my family. It would, it would undo years of work that we've, we've broken our backs uh, to get to this point. So not only is it going to impoverish my family, and this is now, keep in mind, this is just me. I'm just making a podcast about me. This doesn't even talk about everyone else that this has affected. I mean, and it's affected millions of people. This doesn't affect, this doesn't tell you about every single instance in every single state with every single family. What it does when you take a person and you lock them in a cage for, for, for 60 days, for 90 days. What does it do to their work? What does it do to their family? What does it do to their stability in life? What does it do to them spiritually? Does it make them a better person to lock them in a cage and to quote unquote rehabilitate them to lock them in a cage with even worse criminals in many cases? And when they come out after 60 or 90 days, are they better people? Are they better? Did we just make them better? No, no. You made them far worse. Far worse. You locked them in a cage, which is, first of all, against God's law. You can't find in the Old Testament anywhere from God's law that prescribes that you should enslave somebody in a cage because they've wronged you. Now, as a Christian, I'm not against slavery, and neither, neither is the culture we live in. We live in a culture of slavery. Locking someone in a cage for not having your papers is an issue. That is slavery. It's called the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment Amendment even calls it slavery. We've come up with new fancy humanistic terms that cleans it up, like mass incarceration uh, and rehabilitation and everything else you could possibly do to uh, uh, have a George Orwell doublespeak. Uh, but what all it is is slavery. Go look it up. 13th Amendment. What does it say? Does it say incarceration or slavery? Check it out. And in fact, it says uh, as, long as, as long as you violate a law in, 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 in the states, you're free game. They can enslave whoever they want. And we call this justice, by the way. Repent, America. And so, so my family is plunged into poverty because I get behind a will. I'm put in a cage. I lose my job. It's not even an option. I'm going to lose my job. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm trying to think about how I'm going to how am I going to get out of this situation? I don't have a bond. I don't have I don't have any money to pay for a bond because I didn't have any money to pay to even go and defend myself in the court system. So, what does uh, so in so I'm incarcerated now. The incarceration impoverishes a hardworking family, like I was talking about, that actually has job skills. Like I actually have job skills. I actually have value, and I'm a productive member in society. But instead, what we do is we're now subsidizing. So when I get incarcerated, I'm, I'm being used as a monetary source for the jailer. I'm being used as a monetary source for the police officer. I'm being used as a monetary source for the administrator who works for the jail. I'm being used 
as a monetary source for the state. And so what the state does is it, it – and, and most states do this. You can look at like articles um, uh, from California that came out recently this year talking about if you're incarcerated in California, you're actually worth more monetarily in that system than if you freely worked as a human being. So the, And the state knows this, so the state finds a way to incarcerate us more because our GDP will actually go up because they can actually create, mo- they can actually create money just by enslaving us because the taxpayers subsidize it. So the more people you enslave, the more taxpayer money you get, uh, and the more money the, the, the prison lobbies ask for. Therefore, the more laws you create, which also is lobbied for police officers, lobbied from police unions and prison unions. So you have the police officer unions lobbying for more local laws, and then you have the prison unions lobbying for more state laws. So, you, so the state is constantly trying to find ways to just enslave you for any single thing they can possibly imagine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how hard life is right now. It doesn't matter you went through a hurricane. It doesn't matter you just moved in. It doesn't matter that you simply forgot. It simply doesn't matter. You can't drive no more. And so they've taken a productive member out of society, and they've subsidized um, our. They've taken a productive member out of society who otherwise. Um, would be productive and instead were subsidizing jailers and, and police officers who don't have a skill, who don't who aren't offering a skill. Because jailers who come in, most of them are 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 are, are very low skill workers. Jail jailers are extremely low skill workers. And so what it comes down to is he can't find a job, so he goes and applies at the jail because there's always going to be people that are enslaved. That's always going to happen. And so what they do is they enslave skilled workers to subsidize the unskilled work. And then those unskilled workers create unions, and then you know, and they create a system where it can't be broken. I hope you're tracking with me. I'm trying not to be too confusing, but this really irks me. It really does. So it, it just enslaves and monetizes the population for the benefits of the least useful in our society. I'm going to say that again. It enslaves and monetizes the population for the benefits of the least useful in the society. And so the state is trying to, through their humanistic doctrine, providentially govern all of my life and behaviors. I'm a Calvinist. And what humanism hates most about the Christian faith is that Calvinist faith. And so the humanistic state only wants to reserve a Calvinistic providentialism to itself it does this by denying God as the ultimate sovereign and then blaspheme, blasphemously converting itself as the true providential God that walks the earth and brings peace through its law and decree. And that's a gospel issue. Because the government, people who really run for, politi- for, for office, political office, people who really get involved with, with government, especially from a humanistic, socialistic point of view, they really believe they're going to fix the world. They really believe that if they pass that law, they really believe it's going to fix the world. And that should scare you. That should scare you. That there are people out there who believe that they're word of faith, heretics, from a humanistic standpoint. There are people who believe that if they get into political office and they speak the law into creation and decree it, that it will bring peace. And Christ says to repent, that Christ is the Lord of lords. Jesus' kingdom is the state of states. 
And so it's time to repent. The nation needs to repent for what they've done. And we've systematized this sin. This is just me exposing my issues. Most people don't expose this stuff because we're, we're, uh, we're shamed. Because, and most people are statists, like, oh, you, you deserved it, Carrie. Shouldn't have been speeding, man. You know you shouldn't be driving without a, with an expired driver's license. Should have asked for help, man. And we come up with every excuse as to why it's okay, um, why it's okay for what just happened to me. And it's not okay. So I want to go to Titus 1, 13 through 14. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. These doctrines and these laws and these decrees that are providentially governing our life, that's a fiat providence, by the way. It's a fake providence that's quote-unquote governing my life. Or what Paul says, do not devote yourself to those things. Those are commandments of people that turn people away from the truth. So people who are who love this system, people who, oh yes, this is amazing. I love how safe and secure America is. You have to repent. You have to repent. These are heresies that are being posited as if they are neutral, as if God doesn't really care one way or the other, how we operate our roads. Those are small things. Yes, the Bible says that God cares about, you know, the sparrow that falls from the from the sky or the, the hairs on your head. But you don't care about, about, you know, laws as they govern traffic violations. God didn't care about those small things. And you're just a fool if you think that. God does care about those things. And he says to rebuke people sharply so that they can be sound in the faith. And this is a sharp rebuke. It's a sharp rebuke um, from me to the state and to anyone who supports this kind of system. So we are told by status that without government, then private companies can pick and choose who is allowed to be on the roads. And I've talked about that. And how is that any different than our current system? That's my question. How is that any different than what it is currently now? And the humanists live in the, oh, it's a possibility. Yeah, it's not perfect, Carrie. Not perfect. But there's a possibility we're going to get there one day. We're going to be there one day. And it's the same with there's a possibility that there was a big bang. That if given enough time, there's a possibility that anything could happen. We could all turn into, you know, into uh, uh, purple dinosaurs. I don't know. You can come up with anything. And that's what human, humanists love the idea of the possible which is a blasphemous idea, the idea of the possible. Given enough time, anything could happen. Even the most terrible of government uh, philosophies could become amazing in time with possibility and with enough corpses and enough broken families. So at least with the privatized roads, I don't drive on them, then I don't have to pay for them. It's something to keep in mind. If I don't drive on the road, I have to pay for it. It's been a long week for me. I'm sorry if I don't feel uh, if I don't sound like I'm extremely happy. And I just I really hate this. I I second guess myself as to whether I should even talk about it. And that and this is what the shame of being accused, falsely accused, and convicted of false crimes. 
not only am I falsely accused, because this isn't a real accusation. These aren't real accusations from the state against me. Real accusations of sin. These aren't, these aren't real. It's a false accusation. And then I'm falsely charged with these false accusations, which is shameful. And when you live in a society where everyone thinks that they're real charges and that they're real accusations, and they're not, we're living in a, in a make-believe land. That's what we're living in. We're living in a make-believe land where everyone make-believes make that the laws are here to protect us, and they're not. They're actually here to, to shake us down and to fleece us for the benefits of the people who are working for the state because they have no real job skills. They have, no, they have nothing of value to offer in the free market that someone would willingly pay them for, so they have to go and find a system that coercively steals people and puts them in cages so that they have some kind of paycheck they can go, go home with. Never mind you that they've impoverished a whole new family to do that and that many of these jailers are really bad people. Many police officers are really bad people that matter. And you may not like that. To be honest with you, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy who's living out the truth of what everyone doesn't want to acknowledge, which is that we live in a really oppressive society. That many of us are on the pref so many of us are on the precipice of barely even making bills, making ends meet because of the fiat currency, because of our monetary system, because of our credit system, and the fact that many of us are, just have no money. And then add to that that we're also constantly being monitored. We're constantly being followed. We're constantly being watched by the police. We're constantly being watched by the government, waiting for our one misstep so that they can also monetize us for additional taxation. And I'm not blind to it anymore. That's why my first episode talked about civil asset forfeiture. So if you're listening to this episode and you haven't heard my first episode, you might not understand where I'm coming from. It's probably best you go back and listen to that first episode. I explain a lot in that first episode about how police officers monetize people. And they love it. Like, they love civil asset forfeiture. So I wanted to read again from Rush Dooney. I've been reading a lot from Rush Dooney lately. Um... And uh, he's just so, um, he has discernment like very few people I've ever met in my life. And he can explain it. I may not be very good at explaining it, but he actually is amazing at explaining it. So I'm on page 211 on the systematic theology here. So here's what, here's what Rush Tooney says. Rush Tooney says, The providence of God is little spoken of today because his powers of government have been transferred to the state and to man, together with his sovereignty. It is the state that today preaches providence to willing congregations, calling it cradle-to-grave or womb-to-tomb care, social security, and a variety of other names. Men everywhere believe in providence, and they look to their gods for it. Unhappily, their gods are false gods, and not the living Lord. What does it mean, then, to believe in sovereignty, government, and providence as a Christian? It means that my life and being are under the sovereignty and government 
of all the of the all wise and most holy trinity whose ordering preserving and government of all things is for his own purpose and glory that my only joy and purpose is to acknowledge that sovereign governing providence and to rest in its sufficiency it means that in every area of life i must acknowledge and establish rule law and authority only in terms of his law word and in faithfulness to his kingship this means that in every area of life and thought i must assert the crown rights of christ the king and bring all things into captivity to him the alternative to the sovereignty government and providence of the triune god is in practice the sovereignty government and providence of church state or some agency of man it means freedom from god for the slavery of sin and rebellion the man who is in revolt against god's reign will soon be the slave not only of sin but of apostate institutions churches states families men women and children for such a slave freedom is intolerable as a young nazi boasted just before world war ii we are free of freedom but man's revolution against god does not abolish or dismantle god's reign it only unleashes his judgment so remember that christians that to deny god's providence in creation is to substitute it for man's providence which is no providence at all it's a fiat providence a fake providence it's humanistic calvinism it's a poor man's calvinism while they tell you they hate calvinism they literally practice it and they practice like a really twisted version of it i know calvinist believes this that you should govern all man's actions through law i don't believe that i'm a theonomist which i'm constantly told that i do believe that that i believe i i want to dictate everyone's actions by law and i don't it's the opposite anyone who knows anything about theonomy knows that that's not true but most people don't read theonomy they don't understand what it is what they do is they go to someone else who hates theonomy and then they ask that person who doesn't understand what theonomy is what is theonomy and so they are completely ignorant of what it is actually teaching. When so here's what here's what Rush Dooney goes on to say. When sovereignty is claimed by the state, the state then seeks to remake man and the world. It assumes the central and sovereign task of government and therefore of providence. The result is nominal and disappearing Christianity and the steady replacement thereof with a political religion men look then to the state to provide providence to provide providence becomes a political not a christian article of faith to affirm the sovereignty of god means to deny the sovereignty government and providence of man the state the church and all other man-made agencies their only role is to obey god as defined by God's word. All else is usurpation and sin. And so I have not much else to say. It's a pretty quick episode today for the most part. I just wanted to point this out to you guys. I wanted to show you how difficult it is. Uh, because in many ways we do have to hide this from a lot of people. It's not that we're hiding it um, 
uh, we're just being dis- we're just being discerning about who we're telling and who we're not. And I know a lot of people don't listen to this podcast. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But we are being discerning about who who we're exposing this to because what it really comes down to is most people will just blame you or shame you or uh, tell you that's just the way it is, Carrie. Well, you know what? As a Christian, I'm not interested in the way things are. I'm, I'm interested in the way things should be and the way things Christ, the way Christ says things are going to be. Because in the future, it's not going to be like this. When the gospel goes forward and either revives this nation or judges this nation, the nation will either crumble and become something better or the people will repent and become something better. One way or the other, it's inescapable. God is going to judge the nation. And he's doing it now. This is a form of judgment. And God does not spare his people from from the judgment. He doesn't. Not judging other nations. I live in this nation. If God's judging the nation, I'm going to be a part of that judgment. Doesn't mean he's judging me um, and condemning me to hell. But what it means is that he is in temporal time judging our nation. And because of that, I'm reaping the rotten fruits of that. I'm reaping the rotten fruits of humanistic Calvinism and fiat providence. And you are too, whether you realize it or not. Brothers and sisters, be careful that you do not substitute God's providence for man's providence and that you do not substitute a Christian Calvinism for a false humanistic Calvinism. I love you. God bless you. Press into the kingdom. Seek after the Lord's righteousness, and may God's grace and peace be with you. Amen. Thank you for listening to Man at the Gate. Go forward, Christian, and apply your ethics to all areas of life. Begin to discern the world around you. God bless. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.